The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to More Than Amuse podcast. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie, and we are so happy you are here and joining us to learn about another amazing and forgotten women from history. Yes, it's wonderful that we get to do this. We're so happy that so many of you are there, whether you're here from Instagram, TikTok, you've been listening forever, or anything Mm -hmm. else. Just share it with your friends and keep listening. We're happy to have you here. Keep spreading the good name of remembering female artists or giving the credit they deserve. Yes. I put a TikTok out about Britney Spears a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. Most of the comments were like, Queen Britney. But some of them were like, yeah, but she probably didn't actually write her song. Because I put the clip from our podcast about how she's not like getting the credit she deserves for writing stuff. And there were a couple like slightly sassy comments. And I was just like, I got so fired up, but I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. Just leave them be. It's fine. (laughs) Like, we don't need that energy, though. (laughs) I know. Like, why can't we just respect Britney Spears? I don't know. No, she really does have a bad name. And especially, like, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet and you're like, what are you talking about? She wrote her songs. Mm -hmm. Like, go listen. It was insane how much I didn't understand about Britney Spears and, like, how involved she really was in her career. It's crazy so definitely worth a listen yeah sorry to like bring up that episode oh that's okay but it was a fun one i just had to acknowledge <laughs> the slightly sassy comments in the comment section of that tiktok and i was like oh whatever yeah. i'm just not gonna acknowledge this because i'm gonna be annoyed if i do but it's fine no it was definitely very enlightening and this one is also kind of a cool episode because this is like a fairly popular female artist but I didn't know a lot of these things about her, and so I'm, like, really excited. So today we're talking about Hilma Off Clint, whose artwork is very popular. I'm sure if you Google her name, you've seen at least one of them. I know. You just said, like, oh, a popular artist, and I'm like, well, I do not recognize (laughs) that name, but I just Googled it, and yes, this is very familiar to me. She has very famous abstract art. And it's really cool diving into more about her. So I was trying to find kind of like some state of the arts facts to share. But it's kind of hard because first off, um, Clint was born in Sweden. And that's where she lived and spent her entire career in life. And she was Hmm. born on October 26, 1862. And then died on... October 21st, 1944, and there just wasn't a lot going on in Sweden during that time, (laughs) from what I could tell. They had, like, some political unrest in the 1800s, but that was over before she Mm -hmm. was born, and then other than that, there was just, like, normal 
things. So there wasn't really a lot to like say about that, but um, kind of a cool thing that this like tied in and I didn't even plan on it. I'm doing mm -hmm. like a little book or zine on like artistic inspiration for school. And mm -hmm. um, because of that, I've been able to dive into a lot of like fringe ways that people look at like getting inspired. So um, yeah. like speaking in tongues or like people believed in things like um, I'll talk about it actually because she did this practice, but like automatic writing or things like that. And it's kind of these beliefs that existed in religion, but also in mysticism. And she was a mystic um, primarily, like that was like her religious beliefs. And it doesn't seem like it was a super huge movement in Russia per se. Um, and mysticism doesn't really have like an origin that I could like relate back to and be like, it started at this time period because it's kind yeah, of yeah. been around forever, like as far as anyone Like can it's tell. always been around, yeah. but not always maybe as prevalent as like <laughs> Christianity or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So there's not like a start or end date to a lot of these practices. They're just kind of like weaving their way in and out of society constantly throughout history. Yeah. So there's not a lot of like context I can put at the beginning of this, but because of the book I've been doing, I have a lot of insight on like a lot of these practices that she did that we can cover as we Ooh, go throughout. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. Then. And one of the things that I did want to talk about briefly is that the part of mysticism or religion she belonged to was a, a thing called, <laughs> I'm going to say it wrong. Theosophy, and hers was like based on this so I don't know how like entirely like together it all was but it was actually started by a woman which I thought was really interesting so we'll like touch on this a little bit before we dive into her so Theosophy was a religion established in the United States during the late 19th century so I guess it would have been right around this time but Clint was in Sweden I guess it had far-reaching effects because it was founded primarily by the Russian immigrant Helena Blavatsky. And all of the teachings are drawn from her writings. So it kind of started this like new religious movement of like a cult, um, kind of like similar in some ways to like Hinduism or Buddhism, where it was more based on like spirituality and stuff like that. But obviously a little bit more mystical. <laughs> Yeah. And magical. Um, they actually believed in this idea of an ancient and secretive brotherhood of like spiritual adepts is what they called them, that they were known as the masters. And these masters were like centered in Tibet and had like a great wisdom and supernatural powers. And we'll actually end up talking about them a lot in Hilma Off Clint's story because she has this whole period of time where she... I don't like want to say claims, but she her art was like inspired by these masters per se. So oh. they would like gain knowledge and like all sorts of things through these like ancient masters. Wait, were they like real people or was it like the ideas of the people that they would worship? I don't think that they were real. I think that they were like like spirits. Okay, because they're cool. never, like, associated with a name of a person at all. It's, like, an otherworldly kind of... So it's, like, the equivalent of, like, someone, like, saying that they prayed to God and, like, God gave them inspiration. Yes. Kind of but thing. instead of God, it's, okay. like, a council of ancient brethren. 
Okay. If that makes sense. Yes. But they also believed primarily that, like, human life um, was, like, reincarnated after death and, like, karma Mm -hmm. and a lot of those things like that. Also, like, universal brotherhood, social improvement, just kind of, like, good thoughts and, like, community and feelings and everything. A lot of that associated with, like, Buddhism or Hinduism. But then also kind of this idea of, like, a mystical brotherhood that like inspired you and taught you things if that makes sense so like definitely more spiritual spirituality rather than like religion definitely yeah and like their motto um says like there is no religion higher than truth so that was kind of their idea behind all of it okay cool yeah yeah so it started through blavatsky in russia made its way over to the united states with her um kind of established itself in new york city throughout Um, that time period and was popularized Um, eventually like kind of spread its way over to India as well and kind of became a huge thing there and um, from what I can tell it's kind of like not really like still a thing because there's a lot of other like spiritual religions I think that are more popular but they think that the influence that it had was very widespread so even if it's not like a thing so much today like its influence is kind of like everywhere within those worlds especially a lot of it like philosophy ideas of like mind and soul and body and like um new age kind of like cults that kind of stuff (laughs) not that that was necessarily like a positive influence but like anyway yeah i get what you're saying though (laughs) so i just thought that was really interesting that this lady like started this thing that kind of had these far wide-reaching effects so even though she wasn't an artist if you want to learn a lot more about that then look up helena blavatsky and i know i'm like i feel like she would have such an amazing like unique story herself so yeah so hilma off clint kind of belonged to that group as well and it definitely influenced her art and her life but in a way that like I did not know. So let's dive into her. So like I said, she was born in Sweden in 1862. And her parents were Matilda Offklint and Captain Vicar- Victor Offklint. And he was actually a naval commander. And she had a pretty normal childhood. She spent summers with her family at their manor on an island next to a lake, which sounds beautiful. That's, yeah. In Sweden. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so she was definitely very exposed to nature, and it um, was a huge part of her life, like a deep association to, like, the earth, um, which they think had a huge impact on, like, her spirituality and her um, artwork itself. And later in life, she even would live on an island off of the coast of Sweden that was still part of it as well. It's called Munso for the rest of her life so she like was surrounded by these beautiful (laughs) idyllic sites of like sweden her whole life pretty much her family helped her be very interested in a lot of different things she had a great interest in mathematics and botany she also was very interested and very talented in visual art obviously from a very young age And when her family moved to Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden, she studied at the Tekniska Skolone, which I think was the art school there. It switched its name now 
to Constifac, and I'm probably saying all of this wrong. So, but it's basically the University of Arts, Crafts, and Design. So, oh, yeah, cool. like an arts college. And there she learned portraiture and landscape painting. And that's actually what I think the majority of her work while she was living was like very realistic, beautiful, but nothing like what her work has been popularized as now. So, it's kind of crazy. Mm. Um, there's actually this painting by her called After Summer, um, which means late summer. If you want to Google that, <laughs> then you can look at it. it right now. And I'll post it on Instagram for all the listeners. It's beautiful. It's this stunning landscape that she painted in 1903. And it's completely different from what a lot of her popular work. Like if you Google her yeah. name, this is not what will come up. But it's beautiful. And so that's what she learned at school and what she did for a large portion of her life. Like, beautiful. The colors are amazing. Like, but yeah, it's nothing like what you would expect. Like, all this, like, amazing abstract art and then just like, oh, that's a beautiful landscape. Like, you would not think that was the same author. Not author. Same painter. I know. Actually, this is a side note, but I always think it's really funny when people are like, oh, abstract paintings. Like, anyone could do that. But if you look (laughs) at popular abstract painters at their, like, landscape art that they did before they got into, like, abstract or impressionist, it's, like, really amazing. (laughs) So they're definitely very talented. (laughs) That's definitely the thing with, like, I mean, I've been guilty of that, too, Mm -hmm. because I don't really know art. So I'm like, hmm, I could do that. And it's like, well, I absolutely, (laughs) in fact could not so no it's kind of funny there's this saying in design that it's like once you know the rules of typography you can break them so like once you understand how to do something properly you can do it however you want and I kind of wonder if maybe that's how it is with painting as well like once they understand like shadow and light and everything else then they can like literally do whatever they want I feel like that's the thing with like most art forms because like even in like my music theory classes like he'd pretty much be like yeah we're learning these rules people are going to break them but you have to learn them almost Mm -hmm. like in order to kind of like know when to break yes yeah that was definitely a sentiment I heard a lot yeah so I don't know how true it is I'm sure you can break rules without knowing them and it's fine sometimes but (laughs) there is something to be said I think for how talented she was at her landscape painting and that's kind of what Mm -hmm. she was known for She actually was admitted into the Royal Academy of Fine Arts at the age of 20. And through 1882 to 1887, she studied drawing, portrait painting, landscape painting, graduated with honors, um, was given a scholarship through like a studio. So basically instead of money, they gave her a studio to paint in, Mm. which is a pretty great scholarship in my opinion. And then it was in the main cultural hub of Sweden at the time. So in central Stockholm, pretty much. So it was in a great area and there was an art gallery right by it. And she just spent a lot of time painting and studying and continuing her work there. And she began to get really popular, but for her landscapes, botanical drawings and portraits. So this conventional painting was the source of her financial income. And that's how she made her money while she was alive, for the most part. Like, that was it. Wow. Um, all of the paintings we have of her now actually come from a completely different part of her artistic endeavors. It had nothing to do with the Royal Academy. It had nothing to do with um, commissions or anything else. It was entirely focused on her spiritual and philosophical ideas. And it was really, really private. I would even say secret, mm. which is kind of cool that we're going to dive into this now. 
So one thing that I think is very cool that everyone should know is um, there is a very famous male painter named Wassily Kadinsky. And he's a Russian painter, and he's basically credited as, like, the pioneer of abstract art. Like, he's seen as, like, the first guy or first person, honestly, who ever did abstract art. However, Hilma of Klint, a lot of her work, like, a considerable amount of her abstract work predates his. Wow. So if we're looking at it just, like, timeline-wise... She technically started before he did for quite a while of time. The only thing was is that her paintings weren't public. They were secret. And so her abstract painting wasn't as widely known like his was from early on. And so that's why he's seen as like the pioneer of abstract art when however she technically was probably the earliest person to begin doing that movement. So kind of crazy. And it seems like most of what Spiral did was in 1880, um, her younger sister Hermina died. And at this time, of course, she's going through this major grief. And so this like spiritual dimension of her life began to develop, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. You're faced with the death of a close family member. You're going to start to kind of question things and explore different things, especially if you don't have like a strong foundation of religion or spirituality of some kind so she started to dive in to spirituality and um, became interested in the theosophy movement by Blavinsky and also some other philosophers Um, she met a man named Rudolf Steiner who was a philosopher social reformer and also an architect randomly so also an artist um, but he founded an anthroposophical society. And basically, their quote is an association of people whose will it is to nurture the life of the soul, both in the individual and in human society, on the basis of a true knowledge of the spiritual world. So they basically were just trying to support people who are more interested in spirituality beyond just like Christianity or other popular religions at the time. So he started to introduce her to his own theories regarding the arts and obviously like artistic inspiration and all sorts of that. And she continued to meet with him throughout the years and even met with him at the headquarters of the Anthro Anthroposophical Society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was in Dornick, Switzerland, apparently between 1921 and 1930. So about for 10 years, she spent a long periods of time, like long vacations over at the headquarters there. Hmm. So it definitely started to have like a major pull on her life and to be like this search for like new forms in artistic, spiritual, political, and scientific systems, which became like this whole thing within her art. Her work on her own, even though she was doing all these landscapes and portraits, her work began to be completely focused on spirituality. And she even formed a group with four other women named Anna Castle, Cornelia Cedarberg, Sigrid Hedman, and Mathilda Nelson. And they called themselves the Five, or Defemme, which I love. And they basically were like this group of women who would get together and talk about the combination of philosophical teachings of Helena Blotsky and spiritualism and how it like all overlapped with their artwork and all sorts of other things in Mm. life. So it was like this little group, kind of like a book club, but talking about like spirituality instead. They were interested in paranormal 
stuff as well. And they would have these meetings that they would open with a prayer and then they would follow it with meditation. They'd read a Christian sermon, um, even have a review and analysis of a text from the New Testament, and then they'd have a seance. So it's like this huge mix of like all these different things, like a prayer and reading from like texts of the New Testament and like a Christian sermon, Mm -hmm. but then other things like meditation and seances, which aren't necessarily a part of that. So kind of like this weird little culmination of things. (laughs) I feel like I like that, though. You know, like religion's complicated and like your own spiritual journey is complicated. And I feel like people aren't really always open at just being like, well, I'm going to take what I like from, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's very much more common to identify yourself in one religion and just kind of fully support yourself in that. So I think it's cool that like, you know, like you said, like that it kind of takes from a lot of different things and from our lens of like, you yeah. know, traditional religion, you wouldn't really put those things together and no. think that they make sense. Yeah, you know? but I think it's really cool that they had like this little group that they could like gather together and kind of throw together this little like spirituality thing. So they even recorded in a book this new system of mystical thought and um, like messages that they would receive during their seances as well. And um, through this work, she started doing automatic drawing. So this is, and I'll get into a little of the practice of automatic writing. So automatic writing is kind of like mysticism. It's existed for a really, really long time. So they can't really draw it back to like a certain time period. It even existed in like ancient China and was like a foundation of a lot of religions. But the idea is basically that you would sit down passively holding a pencil above a paper and then just start without even thinking writing like automatic writing and it was believed that you were like funneling an otherworldly being in some way in order to write the words rather than doing it yourself because you were like emptying yourself out so that whatever was there could take it on for you sometimes they even would use like a ouija board or other things like that in order to find words and use that instead. It was this really popular practice during the Romantic period, especially um, because spirituality was such a big thing. And there's even people who are known to be like really, really gifted automatic writers. So obviously there's a lot of skepticism on whether or not it actually worked. And (laughs) there was even a scandal with a man named T.P. James who claimed that he finished Charles Dickens' book, the mystery of Edwin Drood by automatic writing through channeling Dickens' dead ghost into finishing the book. <laughs> and <laughs> it was proven later that it was a total hoax that he had actually just finished the book and then claimed it. Charles Dickens had helped him or whatever. But that was kind of huh. the idea is that you were funneling like this other being or like a higher power or maybe someone who had passed on to the other side in order to create something. Yeah that you yourself couldn't do on your own. Well, you want to know what, though? I feel like there is something to that in a way, Mm -hmm. because listen, I have a book. It's called, oh, crap, what is it called? Oh, it's called The Artist's Way. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it's supposed to be, it's a spiritual journey to higher creativity. It's basically like a 12-week course type thing Mm -hmm. where it's just a woman who does creativity workshops. And um, yeah, so she does creativity workshops, but she definitely talks about like spirituality in the sense of you know she refers to it as god but she definitely opens up to whatever you feel comfortable referring to it as um but you know basically she talks a lot about the fact that like creative 
inspiration does come from God and does come from higher powers and things like that. But one of the main exercises that she emphasizes in that is what she calls the morning pages, mm. which is for the first, like the first thing that you're supposed to do when you wake up is just write three pages without thinking, right? Like mm. you're not supposed to premeditate. You're not supposed to do anything. You're just supposed to write out three pages, empty your mind, all of that. And she talks about how like, that's probably the best thing that you could do if you're trying to access higher creativity. I mean, granted, she doesn't really bring up, you know, Ouija boards or, <laughs> you know, anything like that, but it makes me think, I'm like, man, there really must be something to mm-hmm. it. If even in like, like you said, in like ancient China, they were doing that. And like, that was such a thing in the romantic period that people swore was true. And now I'm reading it in this spiritual book to higher creativity. Like I said, not so much seances and Ouija boards and however that, <laughs> um, you know, applies to this quick, right? But yeah, I'm very familiar with that exercise. Mm-hmm. And I've like got been in and out of that habit for a couple months now. Yes. Through my research of like the artistic inspiration itself, it goes back to so many different sources and like whether or not people believe that it comes from an external source or whether or not it's from your own brain. And honestly, mm-hmm. to the point that, like, I think I've gotten to the point in the book where I'm like, it doesn't really matter <laughs> whether it yeah. comes from an external source or your own brain, the practices of a lot of it or what work and what have created some of the greatest artists of all time. Yeah. So even if she wasn't, like, channeling a higher power or a ghost like or something, this process mm-hmm. of, like, automatic drawing, so just allowing her, like, unconscious mind or whatever to take over – it obviously created like this stunning artwork that she became famous for. So yeah, yeah I love right. the idea of a brain dump or whatever you need in the morning, you know, and get it all out. Because mm-hmm. I think that with a, such a complicated thing as the human mind, like it's probably really helpful to just empty it out every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so she experimented with that as early as 1896. And it led to a lot of these like really geometric um, like images that she has. And it was um, supposedly it's like the concept of invisible forces of both the inner and outer worlds kind of is what she was like exploring as well Mm -hmm. as like world religions, atoms, plant world. And she also like wrote extensively about everything that she was like drawing out and like thinking about and everything as well. And then this is kind of when she took on um, what she considered like a higher calling um, as she became more familiar with the form of automatic drawing and that form of expression of like channeling something. She um, said that she was called upon by the high masters to create paintings for the temple. Um, However, she never she said that she never understood what the temple referred to. Or what it meant. Mm. Um, That was never a part of the instruction. But she had to create paintings for it. And she believed that she was being called upon that by those high masters to do this. And so she even wrote about it in her notebook saying, The pictures were painted directly through me without any preliminary drawings and with great force. I had no idea what the paintings were supposed to depict. Nevertheless, I worked swiftly and surely without changing a single brushstroke. Yeah. So that's the part that's amazing to me is that like she didn't sketch any of this out. She didn't think about it. She just painted. And if you know an artist, they tend to stare at their artwork until they hate it so much. It's very meditated. (laughs) So it's crazy to me that she was able to just paint these and then be done and like be like, yep, Mm -hmm. it's finished. That's it. And not even have to go back and like fix anything at all. It's a crazy thing to me. 
Anyway, so in 1906, after 20 years of artistic works, and at the age of 44, she painted her first series of abstract paintings. So this is when it started. So imagine like 20 years of traditional painting, career, and instruction of like landscapes and portraits and plants. And then you start painting geometric abstractions Mm -hmm. and no one else is painting like this like abstract art is not a thing and you are painting things that no one else is and you believe that it's being guided by like a higher power even to the point of someone else directing your hand so that you're not even fully doing it wow yeah that's yeah (laughs) these works for the supposed like temple she never found out what it was Um, They were created between 1906 and 1915 um, with two different phases of paintings. There was an interruption between 1908 and 1912, but this was kind of her life's work, even though no one knew it was happening at the time. Wow. She started painting this whole new way, a whole new artistic language. Um, She said the painting became more autonomous and intentional. And and this spiritual world would continue to be the main source of creativity for her throughout the rest of her life. The collection for the temple includes 193 paintings. 193? 193. And there's several sub-series groups. So, like, a couple of them are grouped together. Um, So, a lot of them are named, like, they'll have a name, like, um, Savin, like, the Swan, number 17, group 9, series SUW or whatever. So you can see what the groups are, what number she painted them, and then the title that she gave it when she was done. And just so you know, okay. the swan doesn't look anything like a swan. So, <laughs> But each painting is actually really, really large. The major ones that are most well-known date back to 1907, measuring at 240 by 320 centimeters. When people say centimeters to me, I'm like, that's great. I have no concept for that. (laughs) Okay, so that's like 95 inches by 126 inches. These are big. (laughs) They're really, really huge. Wow. Anyway, So these like giant paintings are all part of a series called the 10 largest and they're supposed to describe the different phases of life from early childhood to old age. Mm -hmm. So that was a part of one of the groups and those are the largest and I think some of the earliest works as well. They are really famous of course for just like their really modern aesthetic and the fact that they were like so hastily captured like just done so quickly and yet they have like these really fine lines like they're not they don't look like they were painted super fast you can see the brush strokes on a lot of them but like the edges are all very clear she was really good at like there's like different segments of colors and shapes and there's like symbols and letters and words sometimes it's symmetrical and sometimes it's not like there's just like this really great balance of all of the different like artistic components that make things just interesting to look at and supposedly like I said she created this like language of it all so the whole color choice throughout the entire series of the paintings are all metaphorical so she used blue to stand for the female spirit yellow for the male pink and red for physical or spiritual love she used different names to mean different things so like the swan and the dove represent transcendence and love like sometimes her paintings were meant to represent like gates to other dimensions 
or to mm. like interpret a narrative in a different way or to show like humanistic motifs through like geometry which normally wasn't a way that people show something humanistic yeah so just like this completely different way of looking at things that art wasn't being done that way at that time <laughs> so it's absolutely crazy and then after she completed these works so after these like almost 200 paintings she said the spiritual guidance ended whoa yeah. and even though she continued to pursue abstract painting it was now independent from any external influence and she even switched her mediums the paintings she did for the temple were mostly oil and when she started experimenting mm -hmm. on her own she switched to watercolors and then when she switched to doing her own inspired work um they also shrunk a lot which makes sense because why would you want to do yeah <laughs> you don't have to don't do it that big yeah. And she tended to kind of do things a little bit more, I don't want to say like easier represented because they were still abstract, but like the ideas behind them were a little bit easier to grasp, if that makes sense. Okay. So she'd do like yeah. standpoints of different religions or various stages in history, like different ideas of like a physical being versus like, she says like equivalents on an estostric level. So kind of a spirituality of them. So it was kind yeah. of a lot of like things that are a little bit easier to grasp. Like, you can, like, know what the point of it and, like, look at the painting and be like, oh, okay, yeah. I yeah, and, like, it would be easier to explain. And, like, oh, this yes. represents this loose idea of transcendence. And you're like, what? <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay, so I actually found this artist on Instagram because someone shared one of her posts. And I was like, that looks beautiful. Who is this person? Her username is jag.ink so j-a-g dot ink and her name is jillian guller i think is how you oh, pronounce yeah. it she just has the prettiest stuff Ooh. like i could hang any of these on my wall yeah for real yeah she does a lot of hand lettering which is beautiful and such a skill that i admire um i love she has this quote that says if they don't give you a seat at the table bring a folding chair by shirley chrislam and put like a bunch of different folding chairs that i totally want to hang up somewhere that's cool yeah she just has like beautiful stunning illustration and hand lettering work so definitely go check her out i can't even like do it justice and explain it on here yeah i know like i don't Ooh, i found the the folding chair mm -hmm. i love that the one that i saw that got shared was the and rain will make the flowers grow um, one that's oh, like yeah. one of her most recent it's just really pretty I just love this style of like illustration mm -hmm. and hand lettering it's like kind of retro but like I don't know how to describe it but it's no wonderful. no no I, I see what you're saying and I love process videos of people drawing and she includes those on a lot oh, of her yeah. posts so highly recommend especially if you're trying to fall asleep there is nothing better to watch than process videos of people drawing or people frosting cakes I can attest. Yes. Oh, I love what the videos of people frosting cakes. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. For some reason, it's just so calming. I'm like, I'm going to watch it's you frost so this cake and then I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> like, I'm going to watch as many cake videos as I can. Yeah. And then, yep, I'll go to sleep. <laughs> yep. I love it so much. So everyone go and follow her. Jack.ink. She's a Connecticut artist and hand letterer. And she likes dogs. And yeah, I think she has prints for sale. I haven't like tried to explore her shop too much she does have a t-shirt it looks like cool. and then yeah she has a couple of different prints and stuff on her website so 
check her out. Okay, so the person that I'm chatting out today is actually someone who just followed us on TikTok and then I started stalking them. So it's Art. And this is on TikTok. And right now she's like drawing a bunch of skulls. Her bio says 50 out of 100 skulls done. And they're beautiful. She does cool colors. And then her Instagram, I am not positive on how to say it. So I'm just going to spell it. But her Instagram is Z-U-L-E-K-H-A dot L-A-K-E-C-A. Zulika. Yeah. <laughs> Zulika Leka, probably. I don't, I think I got that last name wrong. Oh, well. We're um, sorry. Yeah. Anyways, super beautiful stuff. Um, and just really interesting and cool. So wow. I don't even really, I mean, it, I feel like it's like abstract. So it fits with our theme today. Yeah. Maybe not in the same way, but it's like a different kind of abstract, but it's still abstract. Especially on our Instagram, you can see more abstract stuff. I want to see the but, skulls. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. Go to her TikTok for the skulls. Those are cool. And it's like the video processes. Oh, and I think on her Instagram reels, she also has the skulls too. That's awesome. How very mystic of you, Sadie. How to tie it in so perfectly. I know. Didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> I love when people do like challenges like that. Like if you're, if you yeah. have time, I do not have time right now. I have too many things I'm working on. But if you have time and like you can just try something like that where it's like, I'm going to draw like a skull a different way every day for like this many days, you know, like she's going to do a yeah. hundred. Like that's such a cool way to like get your creativity flowing. Like love that yeah it's kind of like the unique way like sometimes setting parameters for yourself can actually like Mm -hmm. expand your creativity that's like why i love school because they give me rules Mm -hmm. and then it makes it easier for me to come up with stuff yeah because you know like what it has to be yeah so you just yeah totally i like like that if it has to be a skull then like what else can i do to make it different and love that so yeah look at us like dropping tips on how to be inspired with our automatic writing and our with our Who knew this would be an episode full of creativity tips? Yeah, there you go, everyone. Go be inspired. All right, now back to the show. Anyway, throughout her life, she continued to try to understand this own work that she had created because she was just as mystified as everyone else. Um, Mm -hmm. So she would, like, produce more than 150 notebooks with her thoughts and studies um, trying to understand mysteries she had come into contact with during her work. That's cool. Yeah. I am very into that. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> she even invited Rudolf Steiner, who was that, like, famous philosopher guy, to come and see these paintings. Mm-hmm. And he did. He saw 111 of them, but he said that he left unimpressed saying that her way of working was inappropriate for their religion. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even according to Blavatsky, like the founder of theosophicalism or whatever, she thought that that mediumship, so kind of like communicating with another spirit of some kind in order to create something, was also Mm -hmm. wrong and led down to, like, occultism and black magic. So even though they believed in, like, spirituality, I guess they didn't really believe in the idea. They didn't, like, really think that they should take it that far. Yeah, I guess. So this idea of her being inspired through, like, something outside of this world to create art, um, they said it wasn't Mm. good. 
during this meeting, Steiner even said that her contemporaries wouldn't be able to accept and understand her paintings, and it would take another 50 years to decipher them. So <laughs> she was ahead of her time, obviously, and they apparently knew it even then. Really? <laughs> apparently there was one painting that he like said was a little bit easier to grasp of the temple paintings that he enjoyed. It's called mm-hmm. Primordial Chaos. Want to look it up? I think it's the group one, Primordial Chaos. It's blue and yes. it has a lot of like soil yeah. lines. But he said it made the scent like the most sense symbolically, if that makes sense. So it was after this meeting that she actually took that break for those four years. Remember, I talked about how she had the two series of temple paintings with a break in between. And it was actually because she was so devastated by his response that she wasn't able to paint. Because here she was having this like spiritual experience and she invites basically the leader of this religion over. And then he's like, oh, okay. Like no one's going to understand this. So she was really upset about it. However, he ended up keeping some of the photographs of her artwork and even hand colored in some of the colors that he had seen on her artwork and he had him for a really long time so apparently it made some impact on him even if like he wasn't willing to admit it to her and this is actually kind of a, a theory that isn't proven but it's a theory and I think it's cool um, later that year Steiner actually met met Wassily Kadinsky who was considered the pioneer of abstract art and he hadn't started abstract painting at that time yet and a lot of people mm. believe that maybe he had seen some of these photographs of her work, of him off Clint's work, and had been inspired no by them and started creating his own abstract art. So she's definitely, like, it's probable that she actually is, like, yeah. the one who originally inspired, who is considered, like, the founder of abstract art. Yeah, just the fact that there's, like, a direct line of like, oh, yeah. this guy saw her art and took pictures of it. And then he met like Wassily Kadinsky that same year, who was also an artist. And then after that is when he started yeah. painting abstract. It just kind of makes mm-hmm. it seem like, mm, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. Just kind of one of those things that you're like, huh, like maybe we should be looking at this a little bit better and realizing that although Kadinsky can be considered the male pioneer of abstract art, we've got him off Clint, who probably was the founder of the movement was actually doing it first yes later in life um clint made the decision to destroy all of her correspondence so she destroyed all of her letters however she left a collection of more than twelve thousand paintings and 125 diaries to her nephew i mean that's what i was thinking like i was like going through google of just all of her paintings i'm like there's so many and so many different kinds here that like they can't all be hers but like they are obviously they are like that's how amazingly prolific Mm -hmm. just absolutely crazy um it's interesting that she chose to destroy her correspondence though and like left her diaries so it's interesting that maybe there was something she was writing about that she didn't want published so i don't know about that but some of her last paintings were watercolors depicting events of world war ii um so like we said just a little bit more easy to grasp than the temple paintings that she did. Um, Throughout her lifetime, she never chose to exhibit these abstract works. So they never saw the light of day while she was alive. They, okay, it looks like an art historian named Julia Voss thinks that there might have been a time where she tried to show it. They were going to do like a possible exhibition of like art 
but they never actually did. And that's like loosely believed. So they don't really know if she actually ever tried to or not. And maybe she never did. So kind of interesting. Um, she did show it to a few people. It's believed that she took a trip at one point to London and brought some more large scale paintings to show to someone. But there was never like an actual public display of any of yeah. these. She passed away in 1944 at age 82 after a tragic traffic accident. Yeah, which is terribly sad. Um, her work had only been exhibited a handful of times, and that's like her traditional work. And I think a few times she had shown it at gatherings, spiritual conferences, like we said, to a few friends, but nothing crazy. Um, this is kind of the crazy part. Like I said, she left it to her nephew, who was actually um, vice admiral, a vice admiral of the Royal Swedish Navy. And she specified mm -hmm. that her work had to be kept secret for 20 years after her death. Whoa. Yeah. No idea why. Because she, like, wasn't super, like, she was secret about it kind of during her life. But, like, she showed it to people. Yeah. But, like, she didn't want anyone to see it for 20 years after her death. So when the boxes were opened at the end of the 1960s, which sounds like, obviously, the perfect time for all of these to come into play, right? Very few people had any idea what they were opening. They had no clue what they were going to see. Wow. Yeah. So they actually were offered as a gift to Moderna Masset, which is like a modern and contemporary art museum in Stockholm. But they were mm. actually, the donation was declined at the time, which I'm sure they're kicking themselves for now. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. However, um, she, her nephew donated thousands of drawings and paintings to a foundation bearing her name. In the 1970s, mm. like, created a foundation, um, donated the, the drawings and paintings there. Because, like, that's such a grand spectrum of work. I can't imagine, like, not yeah. doing anything with it. And an art historian named Akka Fant introduced her to an international art audience in the 1980s, presenting her at a conference in Helsinki. And after that, it's kind of history. It got popularized to the point where she's one of the most well-known female artists of all time which is crazy. <laughs> and her collection consists of more than 12,000 pieces owned and managed by the Hilma Offklint Foundation. And there's even been exhibitions towards her now. They're building an actual center for her in Sweden. And I think the museum came back and obviously was like, hey. Hey, we'll have those yeah. now. <laughs> And they have a long-term agreement with them where they have a dedicated space at the museum with a dozen works of the artist awesome. shown on a continuous basis. So she definitely has a far-reaching wide That's, reach. like, so crazy. Like, her wanting it to be 20 years after and then now have it be where she's now one of the most well-known woman artists. Yeah. Like, just, like, the series of events working out the way it did is just, like, so intriguing mm -hmm. to me. It's so crazy. And, like, I knew about her. I didn't know about the whole spiritual mysticism, keeping her work yeah. secret for 20 years. I didn't know any of that. So it's kind of crazy to like look back and realize that I think that's primarily why Kudinski was known as abstract, the pioneer of abstract art is because it took her longer, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it was like 20 years after she died before they even saw the light of day. Yeah. And like imagine being ahead of your time 
Like, <laughs> that's kind of crazy to, like, be doing abstract art before anyone else and then all of your work's not even seen for 20 years until after you've passed away. I wonder what was her reasoning. Like, I wonder why that was a stipulation. I wonder if a lot of it was kind of, like, embarrassment over, like, the religious leader telling her no one would get it for, like... Yeah, Because didn't true. he say, like, it will take another 50 years before people understand this? Yeah, that's true. Maybe she's like, okay, fine. We'll see if they get it in 50 years. Yeah, so I think maybe that might have been part of it, is that she was just trying to, like, save it for people who would respect it, if that makes sense. Yeah. She's like, no, I could see Yeah, that. if she's like, okay, if he thinks it'll take 50 years before people understand this, then fine, I'll hide him for 20 years after I die, and then they can open see it up. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think it's really interesting that she did that. Truthfully, though, like, the whole, like... I mean, you're obviously writing a little book about it, about where you get divine inspiration, not divine, creative inspiration from. Mm-hmm. I guess it could be divine. But like the whole concept of like the, the free rights, um, or I guess the, what what do they call it? The quick rights? or Automatic drawing and automatic, automatic writing. Automatic, yeah. Automatic drawing and automatic writing. Yeah. I believe in that. Like, because I feel like when I'm doing those consistent rights, that like sometimes like things will come to me and I'm like where did that even come from mm-hmm. like it like and that happens a lot when like you get inspiration right mm-hmm. or like you get an idea like it almost feels like this idea for a song I'm like that didn't like that didn't come from mm-hmm. me but like it did right yeah and I also find too that it's like the more I am doing those free rights there was a time in my life where I was really really consistent about it probably like a year or two ago mm-hmm. And, like, I would find myself pretty much just, like, free writing songs where, like, I would just write something in my free write and I'm like, okay, cool, that's the bridge. And, like, and I don't even change a word. So I feel like it's, like, if she was in that process and that practice of the automatic drawing, it was almost, like, once she knew, you know, what she wanted to do, that's, she was just able to, like, do it, you know? And I'm not, like discrediting like the fact that you know she feels like she was divinely guided i'm just saying like i really do feel like those processes work Mm -hmm. and whether that's coming from some higher power just you know giving us this inspiration or if it's like almost like the the practice i feel like it's like the practice of trusting your intuition yeah and letting your intuition take the lead Mm -hmm. rather than letting like the part of your brain that like wants to sabotage yourself before you even get started yep you know what I mean no I get it I think one of the craziest things that like you can think about is the fact that like the human brain can only under be understood by itself so obviously there's limits there (laughs) because there's Uh nothing like greater more powerful to dissect that in this lifetime (laughs) because it's just us and we don't even understand it and the fact that like you can look all throughout time and it continues to be like this eternal debate of like does it come from your mind does it come from god like where are we getting these ideas for inventions and flight and like Mm -hmm. art and music and all these things like where are they coming from are they people or are they like something else and yeah yeah like if you ever want to be entertained for a couple of hours (laughs) you can literally just look on the wikipedia page for artistic inspiration and Wow. If you could like click on different links on that and you'll be going for hours, obviously, because I'm filling a whole little book. You're with like, it. I would know. I'm literally doing the research yeah. right now. But there's like so many different facets of it and ideas behind mm-hmm. it of people just constantly debating like, OK, well, is it from this or is it from this? Like, <laughs> but it's like it's I think that's like an amazing thing, though, about like being a human mm-hmm. and then also like being an artist is like 
we literally are creating stuff from nothing just like based off of ideas in our heads right and the fact that it's like we don't even really know where those ideas come from yeah but they they come to us i always like have this like visual of like this i feel like this kind of sounds cheesy but like (laughs) there's like golden orbs like around us constantly that we can't see Mm -hmm. and like sometimes you're gonna run into them and it's like and if you're in a position where you're like open to receiving it like the golden orb is going to like push into your like pixie dust and mm-hmm. peter pan right yeah. where it's gonna be like oh i have an idea like that's how i've always like envisioned it no that's I don't cool know. <laughs> i like that yeah it's just it's such a crazy thing and like even as many times as i've been inspired for projects in my life i don't think i could ever draw it back to like a certain yeah source you know <laughs> and also to like the amount of times where i complete a project like I complete a song. I've written a song and I'm done. And then I'm like, oh, I want to write another song. And there, there's always the moments of like, wait, how do I do it? Yeah. Like, how do I write a song? Like I've written hundreds of songs in my life. And every time I like sit down to start, I'm like, how do I, how do I do this? I don't, I don't really know how to do it. It just, it just happens. And I don't and know I how. Think that's part of why art school is so weird too. Cause it's like, okay, you're going to do mm-hmm. a project. Here's the rules. But they never tell you like what it has to be about or like <laughs> exactly how to do it really. You can't really be like taught how to come up with ideas. Like it just happens, right? Like everyone yeah, just, just does it. And I, it's such a weird part of humanity. But I also do feel like it is a muscle you can strengthen. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, like, the only way you strengthen it is just by doing it. <laughs> you know, like, you just got to try to come up with ideas. And the more you try to come up with ideas, they the more ideas happen. you're going to get. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's super cool, though, that, like, I can't even imagine having that amount of work that, like, yeah. 2,000 paintings over your lifetime. And that's only for, like, I know 20. That's insane. 20 years after she had done traditional art, she's like, okay, we're going to try this because I feel inspired. And, yeah. But I also like that because I feel like sometimes, too, it's easy, like, with artists to be like, oh, this is what they did, right? Like, this is the style they painted and this is what you can expect from them. So I think it's cool that, like, it's obvious she wasn't limiting herself. No, you know? yeah. And it's cool that, like, the thing that no one knew her for in her life is, like, her legacy now. Yeah. And that's kind of a crazy thought, too. Um, One last little thought is she considered abstract art to be the spiritual precursor of a utopian social harmon- harmony, a world of tomorrow. And that's a very cool idea. She knew she was ahead of her time. Yeah, that's what I like. I like that acknowledgement of just her knowing like, yeah, no one's getting it. But maybe that's like you said, that's probably why she wanted people to wait. Yeah. Like she knew people weren't getting it, but she probably knew like deep down that people would get it later. Yeah. I th- and- if anything, at least she hoped, right? She's like, okay, yeah. like maybe the world will get to the point where this will make more sense. Yeah. And so maybe there's like wisdom in that mm-hmm. because it's like they would have opened those paintings a year after she died or five, ten years after she died. They would probably might have been like, what? Mm-hmm you know but then since it was so many years after and there was able to be the whole movement of abstract art then all of a sudden people were able to see it through the lens of like whoa like this is amazing yeah and like all of her notebooks explaining the process of all it all of it as well yeah like she left like like, valuable yeah like the key to like understand what she was doing as well it just Mm -hmm. it also for me it shows like a complete lack of ego yeah because i can imagine like (laughs) you get done with this like really long process of painting all these like 
abstract paintings in this weird style that no one else is doing and it's strange and different and you're like okay and then you even get so depressed because you show it to someone and they're like no one's gonna get this that you stop for a couple of years before you start again and especially like when you felt like it was inspired yes and then you're like divinely and then the head of that religion is like no No, sorry you missed the mark here like how devastating and so she's sitting there and she's like well crap I have 2,000 paintings that no one understands but I feel like they were divinely inspired like what am I supposed to do with them and I'm sure part of her was like terrified that if she just left them or tried to give them away now like people wouldn't people wouldn't get it and they'd fade away and disappear and so it also shows like like I said that lack of ego where she didn't care so much about being known for doing all this work she just wanted to give it to people who would understand it good for her yeah I'm glad that it worked out the way it did because like obviously like I said like that's so much like amazing artwork like I admittedly I'm not always the person who's like super into you know like I mentioned earlier like I've definitely been guilty of being the person who's like I could do that (laughs) and like of course I couldn't you know Mm -hmm. but because of that I'm maybe not drawn to abstract art particularly but like going through this I'm like these are beautiful they're like I would like this to be hanging up in like a home of mine one day in like a front room displaying it makes me want to dive through like all of her like notebooks and paintings and like figure out what the imagery and everything behind them was because it's like oh I have this whole new context and appreciation for these like I've never paid that much attention to and the notebooks are so cool like if you look at the images they have of her notebooks and sketchbooks they're awesome as well I wish we knew more about her personal life I don't think she ever got married or anything so she just kind of painted and had her group of five women that they did seances and spiritual things together and I mean whatever she did it worked because like look at all of this yeah I mean it definitely worked out just a long time after (laughs) yeah honestly yeah but yeah that's Helma off Clint I didn't know all of this about her I'm really I think it's super cool I'm so glad I've been introduced into the world of her art I mean it's kind of like the funny irony of like being the co-host of an arts podcast Mm -hmm. that when it comes to visual arts I know next to nothing (laughs) but that's a fun thing because you obviously know a lot about visual artists and the history there so I like it when I get the chance to be educated and learn a little bit more about someone who exists in that world hey same here I don't know a lot about any composers or musicians <laughs> so we should fill in the yeah, gaps there's always a good balance i think between the two and hey that's yes. what matters you know that question of like if you could have a dinner party with any person who would you pick yeah and i feel like it's getting harder and harder the more people we find out about i know like what one person would you want to like sit down and talk to i'm like okay now i have so, so many, many people who i would love to hear their stories yeah i don't know because <laughs> it's like um can i talk to Hilma off Clint for a second please <laughs> also like I feel like any time anyone would answer 
like asked me that question i feel like i'm gonna cr- come across so pretentious in the future mm-hmm. of being like oh i would like to talk to afro bane <laughs> and they'd be like who's that i'm like oh well let me give you a brief history lesson on the first woman yeah, like in england a who 16th made a- century <laughs> feminist that's who it is yeah <laughs> that's who i'd like to talk to you no. don't know her <laughs> i know just Seriously. you know get my superiority complex in somehow <laughs> well it's just such an incredible group of these historical women that we don't talk about enough and now it's like oh mm-hmm. like if we maybe if we had talked about them more then there would be more information yeah. there so then i wouldn't feel like this gap of like wait okay but where's the rest of the story you know what i mean totally thank you so much mm-hmm. everyone for listening hope you enjoyed this episode hope to see you not hear you hear you back see you back <laughs> next week i don't know we'll see you around <laughs> We'll see you around. Um, we mentioned it at the beginning, but, um, you know, be sure to follow us on Instagram, which is just more than amuse.podcast or on TikTok if that is your preferred medium, just to get more information really about what we're talking about, what we're sharing, especially with like episodes today where it's a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Instagram is a great tool because you can actually see their artwork yes. um, and also like just see who we're talking about so yeah check us out on there then you don't have to do as much googling we'll make it a little bit easier for you well until until next time with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.